Okay, today we are on Lesson 5, Walking by Faith Again. And in our workbooks on page 96 and 97, we answered some questions regarding our jobs. What we like most, what we like least. But did you notice she never asked us, what do you do? What is your job? So I want us to just take just a, a minute and I'll watch the clock for us. And I want you to answer the three questions on the top. There's a fill in the blank, there's a listing, and there's a circle, yes or no, okay? So the first question is, my job is? This is not a trick question. Do not answer God, Bible, Jesus, okay? This is for real. This is not a trick, okay? So my job is, just write something down there. The next one, in the last 24 hours, I have gone slash done. So I'm talking about since the time you woke up yesterday morning until you're sitting here right now. So I'm talking bullet points, you know, for those of you who want to write a novel, save it for another day. I just mean bullet points. You can see mine. It's just listed out here. Okay? I'll give you one minute. Sorry, those listening on the tape, you will just have to write down what you did in the last 24 hours without a handout for the next 30 seconds. Okay, the next one, do you work in outside the home? And just circle yes or no, and if you answer yes, where do you work? Okay, again, none of that is a trick question. We're going to come back to it. Now, for those of you who are really busy and you're still writing what you did in the last 24 hours, it's okay. You can keep going. Um, for the rest of us, I want to just show you some jobs. These are for real jobs, Okay. This is an odor tester. These are basically the people who toiletry or mouthwash companies call when they need to test new scents. This is for real. They're also people who are responsible for the many, many products we use every day. How many of you put on deodorant this morning? I hope so, okay? Their job includes smelling bad breath, smelling human gas, smelling armpits all day long. And then there's this exciting job. British Seed Houses in Lincoln, her duties include counting out and planting 400 seed samples, and then she goes blade by blade to monitor their growth. Yeah. Perhaps more eventful is the manure inspector. One of the most important fertilizers is the animal manure, but first it has to be checked for contaminants, like E. coli and salmonella. Then that's where manure inspectors come in because not only do they get to search for bacteria that causes bloody diarrhea, they also have to paddle through tons of animal waste. If you are listening to this online, you are missing some great pictures. We're just going to put it like that. And then there's this one, a target stabilizer. Now, Joseph did not have any of these jobs, but he certainly never aspired to be a slave. 
When he was little and people asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? He never said, I want to be a slave. Much of Joseph's story has to do with work. Over 50 references, I stopped counting. I started at the beginning of the story in Genesis 37. And just any time the scriptures had something to do with Joseph's work, I wrote it down. That's a lot. That's six pages. Three front and back. I know the font's bigger because I have to be able to read it, so maybe it would be less if, when I was younger. But now it's six pages, front and back, about work. Last week's lesson was even titled, I Didn't Apply for This Job. And then we go to day one of this week's lesson, and it's titled, It's Not Just a Job, It's a Ministry. Now Chris is going to teach us next week, and then when we come back the week after that, Day one of lesson seven is titled, I'm in charge of white help. And we're back to talking about work again. And they add in, in that week's lesson, stress and success, which are also related to work. So I'd like to try something new with us here this morning. I've never done this here, but I did it at Wheaton all the time, almost every, every lesson. I will pay attention to the clock and I will stop at 10. And I've timed this to where this is actually half of a lecture. And the rest of it is going to be carried over two weeks from now. But we need to lay this foundation first. And again, it was a 52-pager. And I thought, okay, so I need to slash half of it. A lecture needs to be about 30 page in my writing. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it this week. So I thought, you know what, Lord Jesus? When I looked for it, I'm like, we're still talking about work in day one of next time. So we're just going to relax. So I did do it into two handouts. So we should get through all of today's handout together today. And then we'll listen to Sweet Chris next week. And then when we come back the next time, we will finish with work being more specific when we get back. We're going to talk about women's work two weeks from today. And I know that sounds really sexist, but we do have work to do, women. And that's what we're going to talk about. But before I can talk to you about that, we really need to lay this biblical foundation of work that we see actually pictured for us in Joseph's life. Okay, so we're going to jump in and see what God's word has to tell us this morning about work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word is so relevant to us today that we can look to it to truly know how to live and how to please you and bring you glory. Open our, our eyes, our ears, our minds to what you would have us to learn from your word and through your spirit, our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right. In addition to God's word, I did use these three sources um, in preparing this. Bold Purpose by Bob Allender and Tremper Longman III. Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. And then Remember Now Your Creator by David Hawking. Every good endeavor I did bring with me today, so if you'd like to take a look at the book or the table of contents or whatever, you can come up afterward and you're welcome to look at this. Timothy Keller is my favorite current author, and I think one day he will be like C.S. Lewis is. Um, a lot of times you have to die first. I think that's pity. Um, but seriously, I, I've read every one of his books and every one of them are excellent. And every good endeavor has to do about work. I always encouraged every one of my college students to read that book. And it has such good, good truth. Some of it I'll share with you today. 
From the most important source, of course, for this morning, well, for every morning, noon and night, is the Bible. And that's where we'll be looking today, mainly in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because that book, it's just 12 chapters long, but it has so much to say about work. Labor's used 10 times. Remember, it's only 12 chapters. Labor is used 10 times. Work is mentioned five times, and toil is, work, is found four times. I just realized I said toil. I know, that because I'm from Texas, and if we produce the most oil than any place else in the United States, we can say it how we want to. So toil rhymes with oil, so therefore, that's what I'm talking about. For those of you who aren't here, I'm saying T-O-I-L. Some people say toil like that, which is ridiculous. All right. Ecclesiastes. We're going to read from a lot of other scriptures. They're there on your handout for you, and we're not going to read all of them today. But again, you can use the check mark system to, when we look at one, put a little check mark by it, and then that way, if you want to read the others, you can do that later on your own. The teacher or philosopher in the book of Ecclesiastes examines the purpose of life. He's trying to discover the meaning of life. Before I pull out a bunch of verses from Ecclesiastes, I just want to do the briefest of overviews for us because it's dangerous anywhere in scripture to do that, but especially in the book of Ecclesiastes. So let's understand what the teacher or the philosopher is trying to do for us in this book. He attempts uh, success or finding meaning in life through learning and wisdom through pursuing pleasure, through pursuing achievement, through hard work, through accruing wealth and influence. And he comes to these three summary points. Um, and remember now your creator, this source gives these very clearly. I've just changed the wording a little bit for us today. So the first one, all of my under the sun pursuits are futile. Now under the sun is life in this world considered in and of itself, apart from any of the reality of eternal. Um, all right, Ecclesiastes 2, 17 through 23. So now I hate life because everything done here under the sun is so irrational. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I'm disgusted that I must leave the fruits of my hard work to others. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? And yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work. How meaningless. So I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. For though I do my work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, I must leave everything I gain to people who haven't worked to earn it. This is not only foolish, but highly unfair. So what do people get for all their hard work? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, they cannot rest. It is all utterly meaningless. The next point there is a source of all I enjoy in life. And by, by the way, the source is not an it. If you ever find your source is an it, you have not found the source. The source is a who. Look at Ecclesiastes 2 again, but beginning in verse 24. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that this pleasure is from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. Even this, however, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Again, in Ecclesiastes, going to the third chapter, 
People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Then in the fifth chapter, even so I've noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat well, drink a good glass of wine, and enjoy their work, whatever they do, under the sun, for however long God lets them live. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. That is indeed a gift from God. And then third, I am ultimately accountable to God. And this comes at the very end of Ecclesiastes, the last chapter, the last verses. He gives you the punchline. The truth, the bottom line. Ecclesiastes 12, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And when we finish up with this lecture at the end of, from two weeks from now, we'll come back to this very verse, the truth of this verse, to fear God and obey his commands. This principle, by the way, is not just in Ecclesiastes. It's also found all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Look at 1 Corinthians. They're on your handout. The one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose, yet they'll be rewarded individually according to their own hard work. But there's going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. And then look at Ephesians 6. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. All right, let's look at how work originated. How did work originate? Now, I know we have a current sermon series going on here at First Baptist Church of Geneva that has been looking at this topic in Genesis, and some of you may also be doing the book club. But I also know there are several women that don't go to First Baptist, and we are so, so, so very glad that you're here. So we're just going to breeze through this a little bit quickly, but this is all in Genesis, how work originated. God's work cre created the world. Genesis 2, you can read that. Now, this view of work of this master designer, intelligent creator, is not found in other historical documents. A lot of times, this orderly creation with a human purpose isn't the way um, the beginning is, is pictured. Many cultures, if you look back to the Babylonians, here's their story. Enuma Elish, the god Marduk, overcomes the goddess Tiramat and forges the world out of her remains. So she's dead and that's how the world came to be is through her remains. This and similar accounts, the visible universe was in an uneasy balance. There were wars and conflicts, powers and tension with one another. Now this isn't how the Bible, there is no equal to God. There is no rival to God. Um, all the powers and beings of heaven and earth are created by God and are dependent on God for their very existence. Creation, then, is not the aftermath of some battle. That's not the truth. It's a plan of an intelligent craftsman, creator beyond 
being creative. When Taylor was little, he's now big um, and has two little sweet children. But when he was little and we first moved up here, he was four. And we were driving in the car. And you know how kids, you know, crane their neck and he was looking at it. And it was fall. It was this time of year. So all the leaves, you know, the seasons here are so beautiful. And this was really his first exposure to a real honest fall. So he's looking out at the trees and the leaves and he said, just think, God created a, God made a tree without ever looking at one. And I thought that is the definition of creative. God made a tree without ever looking at one. And think about that. Everything you see outside, I'm going to the Martin Ar Morton Arboretum this afternoon. I can hardly wait. I'm just going to walk around. Everything that's there, God made without looking at one. All right, let's keep going. Genesis 1, God not only works, but he finds delight in it. Genesis 2 shows that God works not only to create, but also to care for his creation. God works in his creation as the provider and sustainer. Let's look at Psalm. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. Then look at Colossians. Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He's still working in his creation. Do you see it? This one's not on your handout, but I came across it yesterday, and I love that when it happens. I'm like, oh, so Acts, Acts 17, you can add this in your notes if you'd like, Acts 17, 24, and 25. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. The Hebrews passage on your handout says, The Son sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Work is a part of the world that God created and sustains. Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.15 is where God gives his work mandate to man. He passes it along. God commissions workers to carry on his work from the Garden of Eden, but it goes on into today. Look at Psalm 8. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. Work was not the result of sin. It was a gift from God. Given work is God giving us humans responsibility that we are actually to enjoy. The picture of work that we get from the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1 and 2 is an extremely positive one. Adam and Eve labor together to develop what God has created. We see them subduing, tending, and caring for the beautiful garden that God gave them, and they do it together in harmony with each other and with God. 
God's design for man is living in this constant cycle of work and rest. In every good endeavor, Timothy Keller says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our souls. Work is one of the ways that we make ourselves useful to others and don't just live for ourselves. Do you see that? God created humans to work hard in the garden and then enjoy all of its pleasures. And yet scripture tells us what happened, what, uh, how man messed up the garden by our choices. <clears throat> scripture tells us the uh, work will then become frustrating and that work will never fully satisfy us. How does work work now? Genesis 3 we work among thorns and thistles. Jeff preached this Sunday and did a, such a beautiful job of explaining this, that this is not even a curse. The, a lot of times um, different translations will use the word curse, but it's not a curse as in what we think of the word curse of today. God was simply stating the truth, the result of man's choice to sin. Um, against God. All right, we work among thorns and thistles. What are the thorns and thistles today? I was thinking about this, you know, for moms, maybe it's disobedient children, cars needing oils, insurance claims, maybe the office worker and the computer glitch, the women's Bible study teacher and technology. I want to tell you what happened while I was typing this in. Chris is nodding. Has this happened to you before? So I'm typing this in. I, I wrote the question, how am I handling these thorns and thistles? How are you handling these thorns and thistles? Do you find that the thorns and thistles stir up some emotions in you? Remember, we talked about emotions a few weeks ago. They do for me. So while I'm working on this lecture, literally typing it, sitting in my office, the computer stopped saving my work, and it started giving me the strangest messages that I had never seen before. Um, one message said, You've made too many edits in this document. I'm like, I, there is not a limit on edits that I can make. I have never seen that error message before, ever. I started getting a little nervous. I tried to save it to a different drive, thinking just save what you've got right now. Put it in your thumb drive and save it there. It wouldn't let me save to a different drive. So then I'm like, okay, breathe. You know, start printing it off a few pages at a time. I was already above 40 pages at this point. I'm like, just start printing some off. Worst case, you're just going to retype it all in, but you won't have to live it all again through your head and your heart and everything. Ken had, I have my own personal CIO. I'm so grateful for him. He is truly a gift from God. However, the CIO had a business dinner that night, which is why I was just going to work on into the evening. It's getting later and later. I'm like printing off 10 pages at a time. Please just print, just print. And then I'd work a little bit and try to save. Nothing would save, and so I'd print some more. It, was, it really was getting late, and Ken walked in. And, you know, you hate to meet him with, God, help me. <laughs> how I was feeling. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's happening. So he came in, you know, and I kissed him really calmly and said, how was your dinner? And he said, good. And I said, I'm really having some trouble in the computer room. <laughs> so he said, okay, let me change. You know, and he got into his comfy clothes out of his suit, and he came in, and he sat, and he worked with it for a while, and he figured out what was wrong. And he brought my work back and made it to where I could save it. 
Now, I found that funny because I, he, he commented, I was relatively calm, okay, because that normally I would be like, ah, what is happening? I didn't do anything wrong. I have done nothing unusual. I, and he asked, he said, have you done anything? Un-? You know, he starts asking all his calm questions. <laughs> so I'm trying to stay calm as well. Ken is a very calm man, and I'm trying to stay calm. And I'm thinking, I wrote this later, I was relatively calm. Considering I told him it was because I was work, writing about thorns and thistles, and it certainly didn't hurt that the last lecture God taught me was on emotions. <laughs> his word is truth, ladies, and his word, his, it's always the best. His way is always the best, always. Now, funny that in one of these sources, the one of the three that I just read, he writes in this lesson on Ecclesiastes, this happened to him. Just yesterday, I got a small reminder of the pain of labor. I was writing this section about the irritations and setbacks of work when my computer screen went blank. I was working on my laptop computer out on my porch using battery power. I knew that I might run out of power, but my computer automatically saves the file before it switches off. Under normal circumstances, though, it gives me a message that the file was saved. Ominously, no message appeared, and I was left staring at the screen. Holding my breath, I quickly got the adapter cord, plugged it in. I turned the computer on and was greeted by a harsh grinding noise and blackness. My heart sank. Hours later, after the battery was completely recharged, the screen flickered on. But when I searched for my file, I discovered that my morning's work had vanished into cyberspace. Disappointment changed to anger. I had wasted a whole morning of valuable time, but then I remembered the topic of my writing. What else should I expect? Work, far from being an experience of joy and fulfillment, is fraught with obstacles and frustrations. Now, was that Satan inside my hard drive? I don't know. I'm not going there. I don't know. But I, am, I agree with it. What else should we expect from our work? So there are all kinds of thorns and thistles. I just found it hysterical that while I'm facing writing thorns and thistles, I'm facing thorns and thistles, and then I'm reading about him writing about thorns and thistles and facing thorns and thistles. Why? Because we work among thorns and thistles, right? All right. How does work work now? The the frustrations of work are rooted deeper than failure as even success is not fulfilling. Think about that. Even when you get to the top of the ladder, it's not always what you think it was going to be. Ecclesiastes 2 explains this, and we've already read that scripture, but it should be there on the handout for you too if you want to look at it again. Another danger with the success and failure issue The motivation for success can even be sin. Ecclesiastes tells us that in Ecclesiastes 4.4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And there are idle dangers with work, even successful work. work, most Most often successful work. That they can be a rival to God in your heart. So, yes, how am I to work? Well, consider Joseph. Again, over 50 references to work in Genesis 37 through 50. And we're going to see many of these work principles in Joseph's life. And you're just going to have to remember this as we go to the lecture two weeks from today. Okay? So, how am I to work? And we'll look at a few scriptures here and then see what God's word says. How 
are we to work today? Luke 19, 17, well done, the king exclaimed. You are a trustworthy servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. We live for our Father's blessing. It is to be the sweet energy behind our labor. Faithfully, responsibly for my Father's blessing. How am I to work? Second Thessalonians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command with the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from any Christian who lives in idleness and doesn't follow the tradition of hard work we gave you. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and wasting time meddling in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. No, we command them. Settle down and get to work. Earn your own living. And I say to the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. So we are to work with discipline. How am I to work? Romans 12. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. 1 Corinthians 15. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and steady. Always enthusiastic about the Lord's work. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Hint here, here's a hint to the under the sun perspective versus the over, above the sun perspective. And we'll come back to that in a moment. So we are to work enthusiastically. How am I to work? Ephesians 6. Work hard, but not just to please your masters when they're watching as slaves of Christ through the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I'm to work hard, wholeheartedly. For the Lord. And again, you see in this passage, enthusiastically, right? How am I to work? Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. I am to work as a representative. And I am to work thankfully. How am I to work? Colossians 3. Work hard and cheerfully. At whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. So I'm to work hard, cheerfully for the Lord. How am I to work? Did you know all of this was in scripture? How am I to work? John 9. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. All of us must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent me. Because there is little time left before the night falls and all work comes to an end. In Acts 20, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. So I'm to work purposefully and respectful of time. How am I to work? Galatians 6. Be sure to do what you should, for then you will enjoy the personal satisfaction of having done your work well. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. I am to work enjoying the personal satisfaction of a job well done. It is to bring me joy. My work is to bring me joy. Psalm 128, how am I to work? How happy are those who fear the Lord? There's that phrase again, fear the Lord. Remember it. We're going to come back to it at the end of two weeks from now. How happy are those who fear the Lord? All who follow his ways, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How happy you will be. How rich your life. I am to work enjoying the results. Now consider Joseph in this, who we've been studying. 
He definitely enjoyed the results of his work. And so did a lot of other people, more than just his family, right? He saved lives through his job. The above the sun perspective of work. The Latin word vocare means to call. And it's actually the root of the common word where we get the word vocation, right? But today, when we hear vocation, we use it as though it were a synonym for job or work. In every good endeavor, Timothy Keller says, a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it and you do it for them rather than for yourself. Can you see where we're going with this? And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. In the 16th century, the Protestant reformers, particularly Martin Luther and John Calvin, uh, they argued that all work, all work, even so-called secular work, was as much a calling from God as the ministry of the monk or the priest. There's a Lutheran tradition that, um, I love this phrase, when we work, we are the fingers of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When we work, we are the fingers of God. Those in the Calvinist or Reformed tradition, they spoke of another aspect to the idea of work as God's calling. They believe that work not only cares for creation, but also directs and actually structures it. In this Reformed view, the purpose of work is to actually create a culture that honors God and enables others to thrive. All right, to summarize this above the sun perspective of work, I just want to share three quick thoughts with you. Well, really, yeah. First, we work for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. From bold purpose, we will no longer hate our work even though it frustrates us. Work is not where we find our ultimate meaning, but we realize that we do not work for our boss, our company, or even for ourselves. We work for the glory of God. This is as true for those in sales as for those in the ministry. It is as true for the homemaker as for the missionary. All work has eternal significance. Second, work allows us to reflect our creator. This also comes from Bold Purpose by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. Work also provides the venue for us to reflect our creator. We are created in God's image, meaning that we have creative impulses that can be exerted in the work of the gardener, the janitor, the parent, the counselor, the politician, the minister, the student, the accountant, the pilot, the pet store worker. I have to omit omit the thorns and thistles, so let's go to here. Hmm, Sorry. All right, let's go to the third point. Our work is our vocation. This is from Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. Something can be a vocation or calling only if some other party calls you to do it. And you do it for their sake rather than for your own. Our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived as God's assignment to serve others. And that is exactly how the Bible teaches us to view work. So I want you to look back at the beginning, the questions that you answered. My job is, what if I ask you, what is my vocation? Would it change any, or would it still be the same, but you might look at it differently? And we're going to get into the specifics of this again in two weeks. What is your vocation? As a woman, what is your vocation? 
And that list that you made of where have you gone or what have you done in the last 24 hours, I want you to look at it and put a check mark beside every bullet point that you did that involved another human in one way or another. In other words, if you did laundry, but you only did your own laundry, you don't get to put a check. <laughs> but if you did anybody else's laundry, put a check. Now, as I did that, there was a check on every single one of mine except for breakfast because I ate alone. Now, I could be really picky and say, but I bought the stuff that Ken went in and made for his breakfast, right? But I mean, for real. And this isn't because I'm a saint. I think yours is going to look the same way. When you pick up the dry cleaning, even if it was all yours, did you talk to somebody at the dry cleaners? Then you involved another person. So when you look at your list that way, and we're, we'll come back again in two weeks and look at it more deeply, but it will change how we look at our vocation. All right. Regarding what you do and your work inside or outside of the home. Now, did any of us in here save the world in the last 24 hours? <laughs> what about an invention? Did anyone invent a cure for cancer? What about world peace? Accomplish that yesterday or work on it this morning? Maybe in your home before you left. If you got teenagers, you did a little world peace working. Look at your list again and consider this from every good endeavor. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. Let that sink in. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. God himself models this truth for us. He's a gardener in the Garden of Eden. He's a carpenter in the New Testament. No task, not one, is too small. So thus I can embrace my vocation as from his good, good hand. Do I believe this? Remember all those pictures we all got a good chuckle at the beginning? Do I actually believe this to be true? Do you believe this? By obediently working as he has laid out for me in his word, with the operating principle of servanthood, including all those verses we looked at of how we are to work, I love him and I love others well through my vocation, all for his glory. That is what work is intended to be. After a dramatic religious conversion, there was a young soldier. His name was Nicholas Herman, and he decided to devote his life to following God and learning more about Christ. So he joined the monastery and he changed his name. He changed his name to Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, and he spent the rest of his life working in a kitchen and repairing his brother's sandals. This was his job, his vocation. Though during his life, again, the majority of his time was spent serving others in what we might consider menial tasks, he wrote the most beautiful book. His letters and discussions with peers were all compiled together in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, and this is what he says. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. This reminds me of James 2.12. The second I read Brother Lawrence, I'm like, that's James 2.12. 
So whatever you speak, whenever you speak, or whatever you do, that's everything, right? Was something? So what? It, whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of love, the law that set you free. On your handout are the so what now what questions, and I just want to leave them with you um, for you to look over. I'm going to ask that you think about them. If some of you might write down some answers, jot down some thoughts, but we're going to come back to this very point next in two weeks when we come back together on Psalm 128 and 1 and 2 that verse is on your handout I'd like to close with that how joyful are those who fear the Lord all who follow his ways you will enjoy the fruit of your label how joyful and prosperous you will be father thank you for giving us your joy for showing us your way thank you for the vocation you have given to each of us from your good good hand we love you All right, I'll see you in two weeks.